Welcome to Live with Crabtree Coaching Collaborative, your compass for educational excellence. Now, as instructional leaders, we want to avoid that overwhelming sense of burnout and exhaustion because of all of those different competing priorities. We want to avoid our staff members becoming utterly frustrated because they cannot keep up with the demands. And let's face it, we want to avoid just having that lack of confidence because we don't feel like we're making any progress. That's why you're here, right? My name is Alyssa Crabtree, and with over 16 years of experience, I am here to help you gain clarity, amplify your learning like never before, and hone in on intentionality. This is where transformation begins, and excellence is always the standard. Remember, we are in this together, my friends, so let's do this thing. Welcome, everyone. I hope you're having a fabulous evening. We are a few weeks into school, and so as we are getting started, I do want you to enter into the chat, or if you're watching this as the replay, still enter in the chat. How are you doing? How are things going? How um, How is your mental state at this point? And I still hope that great momentum is occurring, but tonight we have a great treat. I have Mr. Adavion Wayne with us tonight. Hello. <laughs> I'm so excited you joined us, Mr. Wayne. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for the invite. I, I was, I, I've been seeing the, uh, I've been seeing your lives and I got your email, not email, your um, message. And I was like, oh, really? Wow. <laughs> yes. Well, I have to tell everyone a story real quick. I met Mr. Wayne last year. I was a consultant coach on, on his campus. And one of the things that he and I both did was work really closely with the instructional coaches and when we talk about administrators understanding instructional leadership, Mr. Wang knows it. Like Mr. Wang knows it. So that is why I'm so excited that you were here tonight so that we can talk about that and really support principals in their journey with instructional leadership. Yes. I, um, I also want to thank you because you pushed me in a lot of ways um, when we partnered together um, in terms of with ELA um, knowledge specifically. And then the way that and this is not, you know, promote Alyssa Day, but it's just it, it's it's really, really real. Um, the way that you were able to scaffold and layer out specific instructional concepts and how to outline it to teachers. And I specifically love, uh, what was it that you all did? Oh my gosh, was that in January, December? The collective the efficacy cycle? Yes, yes, yes. I was like that. And that's still to this day, I still remember that. And I'm secretly going to uh, try to replicate that, but I'm going to call you first. and we'll Call me. <laughs> you know, you know I will help because it's I helpful. It is helpful. listening. It's the helpful. collective efficacy cycles are the way to go. And I'm here to help mm -hmm. anyone who wants to go on that journey because yes. we know the importance of it. Absolutely. <laughs> okay, 
Thank you, Mr. Wade, so much. I mm -hmm. appreciate that. And, you know, one thing I want to give a little background information. So Mr. Wayne currently serves as a, an apprentice, a principal apprentice. So we're going to get yes. into that in a second, too. Like, what is yeah. that? He's, he's also served as an assistant principal, an associate principal, an instructional coordinator, uh, a magnet coordinator, which to mm -hmm. me is so intriguing. And then, of course, a classroom teacher. So yep. Mr. Wayne, tell us... As an, an apprentice, a principal apprentice, mm -hmm. what is that? And kind of unpack your journey to becoming an apprentice. So I am a principal apprentice currently in Houston ISD. And this is the first year that the district is unrolling this, in my opinion, wonderful program that gives, um, gives full-time um, administrators who are either recently or currently assistant principals or former principals as well from out of the district, full-time opportunity for a year to study, to grow, to co-partner and collaborate with uh, your mentor principal on a campus. And throughout the uh, duration of the year, you're still getting professional development from our district office, our um, Office of Leadership and Professional Development. You're still getting um, consistent um, weekly, actually, um, professional development while still being on the campus. So it's really cool because you get to take the um, areas of growth and learning gaps that you identify on your campus, bring it to your meetings, bring it to and receive professional development with that. And the district is really intentional about growing you so that the following year you are able to then take on your um, own campus. And so that is a really unique program. I know uh, some surrounding charters have been doing it, but it's really great that um, Houston ISD is doing it to this magnitude in a district of this size. So I'm excited personally about that. And all the other apprentices, we are super excited. They're super cool as well. And there's just a lot of support for the great work that's turnaround work that's happening right now. I mean, think about all the administrators that just kind of get thrown. I, I feel like any leadership position, yes. education, yes. it's just like, hey, you were really good at this. So mm -hmm. we're going to chunk you in this position, sink or mm -hmm. swim. Yes. And what a great model. Mm -hmm. Like, what are you, because you've been an assistant principal, like you've mm -hmm. been kind of thrown in too. Yeah. What are you noticing is the difference? Like, how is this really supporting? I think the biggest thing, and I was talking to another colleague of mine, I think the the biggest thing for me is as an assistant principal, you are a doer. You know, you are yeah. the feet of the campus principal. You carry out their vision, always doing what's best for kids, keeping student outcomes and student achievement in mind, but you're jumping in and you're doing the work. As an, as an apprentice, first of all, actually, let me go to as a principal, you are also rolling up your sleeves and doing the work, but you may not be the first person to jump in because you have to mobilize your team to really do the right work. Yeah. And as an apprentice being kind of in the middle of the gap, I've had to kind of push myself because I'm a, hey, I see this happening. Let, let, let's fix this. But keeping in mind that it's important, an example will be, let's say morning duty. Obviously, I have morning duty, but what I'm doing is more from a, you know, overall holistic standpoint and looking and identifying gaps. Okay, we may need to put another person here because we have buses coming at this time versus, okay, we need more adult supervision in this place and so forth. So I think the biggest gap for me has been not jumping in immediately, but yeah. being more intentional and viewing everything from a more holistic standpoint. So that has been cool, but I have a really awesome uh, mentor principal as well. 
Yeah. What a great opportunity. Like I'm even, you know, kind of student teachers get that opportunity yes. in some sense, but mm -hmm. I would love for instructional coaches to kind of get that, that guidance too, because like you said, it's, it's get to work. It's like, go mm -hmm. and instead yeah. kind of get to have this different lens, which is really cool. That's pretty powerful. Yes. It so, is a great, a great opportunity. So yeah. Yeah. I, I'm a little jealous. I want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> so one thing, Mr. Wayne, that I always admired when I was on your campus, the days that I was there, it's kind of like what you just said. It was hit the ground running. You were always like, man, I wanted to see your Fitbit at the end of the day. Like how many steps did you get in? But one thing that I love, and I remember this vividly, um, I went into the your office. Uh, you and I had a scheduled meeting and I was sitting down with a young gentleman who had been sent there and he was, he was hot and he was ready. He was ready. And just watching the way when you came out, how you were able to de-escalate and you had a connection with all of the students on that campus, even mm -hmm. the kids, like if there were discipline issues, they were being little stinkers. Mm -hmm. You would come in and they knew it wasn't like, oh, he's going to give me a bag of Doritos and send me back to class. And <laughs> my best friend, Mr. No. Wayne holds me to a high expectation. Mm -hmm. So how did you start fostering those relationships and how did you maintain them through the school year to help students have higher expectations for themselves? The first thing that I try to do, number one, is be visible. So be out of the office as much as you possibly can um, and just connect with kids. I think it's important, first of all, that they need to see you because once they see you, they know they, they'll know your routine. You're going to be at the bus area every morning and just building that layer of consistency for kids, especially when um, a lot of them don't come from places or homes that have consistency. I think it's important that you just, you know, stick to your routines and be visible. Um, the second thing is with um, all types of kids, I build connections with them just by being real with them. And also I am consistent in my redirection to them. You will know on Monday, if let's say, if you come running off of the bus and you're running into the building, if I'm going to redirect you about that on Monday, I'm going to redirect you about that on Tuesday and any day that begins, that ends with a Y. Yes. <laughs> so I just try to be consistent um, throughout all of my redirection, but then find a way to connect with kids in a non-academic way. So if it's, if I notice that they're reading a really cool book, which so many kids do, um, and books that really interest me, I try to point that out. Or if they have on some really cool shoes, which all of these kids, I don't know where they get their money from, but they all have shoes uh -huh. better than I ever would. Um, but I'll just, you know, point out something uh, like that, or if, if they have a really cool backpack, or if I notice when I'm walking through classrooms, this actually happened on Friday of last week, um, there was a student on, on my campus currently that responded to a question that the teacher was asking. And Granted, it was a missed opportunity from that teacher to really probe deeper because of what this, what she was responding and what her response was. And I picked up, I'm like, oh, she's trying to move to the next part of the lesson. Like she's advancing it. Missed opportunity. However, um, I saw her later on in the hallway and I said, hey, really good response to what you said in the uh -huh. classroom. That was really good. And again, school for us, this is week two. It feels like week 20, but it's week two. And that student doesn't know me, you know, doesn't 
I probably at that time didn't know my name because I'm new on this uh, campus with this assignment, but just having that moment to connect with them in a non-academic setting, I think is also important. Then for me, finally, I like to maintain consistent communication with parents and with teachers about the student. So that way they can see that, hey, when you come on campus, teacher A is going to tell you the same thing that teacher B is. You've seen I'm very big about if the teacher tells you to do something, that's as if it's coming from Mr. Wayne. There is no if, ands, buts, whatever other conjunction about it. Like everybody is going to be on the same page. And then we just all stay in the loop about what the kid is doing. Um, And at the end of the day, for me, it's like kids are the core of what we do. And I literally, I love to see the light bulb moments happen with kids, whether it's them blossoming socially on campus or if they're in class and they uh, realize something or a new concept that they were getting during instruction. I love to see those light bulb moments. Yes. Well, so a couple of things that you said really stood out to me. And it's something that I just, I think I just want like tattooed on my forehead. (laughs) Consistency, consistency. Yes. Visibility. Visibility mm-hmm. is huge. And then, like you said, putting those little uh, investments in non-academic relationships, but even you entering that classroom and later making a comment about an observation you made that was mm-hmm. academic, that student will always remember that. Yes. And when that student is in college and sitting into it in a class that might be a little intimidating, they're mm-hmm. going to think, oh, Mr. Wayne thought I knew my stuff. I'm going to say something. That's you that's know? that boost of confidence that everyone needs, but definitely kids. Absolutely. Would you say that the same is true? So like administrators doing this for students, would you provide the same steps for administrators building relationships with teachers? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that is the primary way to get teachers to make the instructional moves that you need them to make. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it can't be out of just pure compliance. Now, are there moments where you know compliance measures have to be taken or directives have to be given? Yes, because we're adults, we're in a professional setting and we our number one job is to improve outcomes for kids. However, you can get the same thing done if you have already built some sort of a relationship with that teacher. And I'm not talking about, you know, going out after school or anything like that. No, it's just doing the same thing that you would do for a kid. Say good morning. I'm really, you know, I'm really big on good morning. Uh-huh. Um, if, if I see kids in the hallway, say good morning. And I expect to hear good morning back. Um, yes. And maybe I'm old fashioned. I'm old school. Um, but I, I like to hear good morning back. So I do the same thing with teachers. I say good morning. I try to be consistent in my responses to teachers as well. But really connecting with teachers in a professional way, but seeing them that they are at the end of the day and the beginning of the day, they are human beings. They are people that come from families that love them and, you know, some issues wherever it may be at home. They're coming to this place, giving all of themselves in some cases to give the kids who need that same level of support. So I try to connect with teachers, um, whether it's by making a joke. I love to laugh um, when I'm at work. Um, I like to connect with, I hear somebody watches the Real Housewives uh, franchise. I'll comment on that. If you're a Harry Potter fan, I'm absolutely going to comment on that. Um, So just small things like that. Uh, Do you know, Mr. Wayne, you were the person that got me hooked on Stranger Things. 
So you, okay. I had never seen it. I had never seen it until the beginning of last school year. And you were like, Mm -hmm. oh, Stranger Things. And I'm like, I need to watch it. And I binge watched all of it. I was so excited. (laughs) Yes. I will. I'm waiting for the last season um, to come out. Super excited about that. Yeah, I'm glad I'm glad you're with the family now, Stranger Things family. <laughs> oh, yes. So last year, you know, we've already mentioned we we worked together to work with instructional coaches. And mm-hmm. we have a lot of administrators who are just thrown into the position without a lot of training. And maybe they don't feel that confident to be an instructional leader. They feel confident mm-hmm. with discipline and routines, procedures, all of the um, kind of like leading a campus, but not really leading instruction. So if you were to talk to an an administrator who was not very comfortable with leading instruction, what are some steps that you would provide to them? Mm -hmm. Let me be transparent with you. I was that person um because my background of course i am a fine arts teacher uh from a quarter well i would say formal but you never uh that never goes away but i was a, a choir teacher in a classroom and the predominance i would say of my experience has been with fine arts in terms of in an instructional setting when i stepped out of the classroom and moved into um, administration it was at the elementary level and so I was still, you know, in I was still engrossed in the fine arts, but then I started to just my interest started to be piqued in other ways to other contents. However, my primary job, um, I was a magnet coordinator and it was a fine arts campus. Uh So my primary job was to manage that magnet program, still not really, you know, going full into that into that world. It wasn't actually until um, when we started working in the same district and campus mm-hmm. where actually I take that back. It was before when I was um, an associate principal previously with the charter school that I just kind of immersed myself in curriculum, specifically ELA and then also social studies as well. And so I said all that to say this to a person who is not fully confident with that. I would say immerse yourself and do your homework on the contents that either you are appraising or just over best practices instructionally as a whole. I always say that good instruction is good instruction regardless of the content um, that you are teaching. So good solid instructional practices in an ELA class will be the same thing in an ROTC class. Kids always need engagement. Kids also always need um, checks for understanding when you're giving first instruction or any instruction. So again, I will say to that person, immerse yourself in the content and really do your homework so that when you're giving teachers feedback and coaching them, it's rooted from a place of competence and you also feel more confident about it the more that you do it. But um, I 100% was that person. To be honest with you, some days I still do feel like that person, but I spend an immense amount of time (laughs) looking at curriculum, uh, scope and sequence, pacing calendars, because I really want, if I'm giving feedback and if I'm leading um, meetings with instructional focus, I have to be confident knowing that I know the curriculum. And I also ask a lot of questions. Mm -hmm. I'm a question fanatic and I'm not asking questions to try to trip people up. No, many times I'm asking it for my understanding. Yeah. So that way I can just, you know, get answers and then synthesize it how I need to. But again, just really do your homework and understand the um, how to support teachers instructionally, what are best practices that will quickly move outcomes for kids. And just and the more you do that, I believe the more confident you will become. Yes. Well, and I appreciate something that you said 
about instruction, you know, good instruction. And Mm -hmm. so you're, you're there to ask questions about the content, which like Mm -hmm. you said, is for your own understanding. However, it also helps teachers dive in deeper into the content because they need to understand how to best explain it to students. And if they have to give more information, sometimes it it gives them an opportunity to sit back and go, oh, maybe I do need to further explain this Mm -hmm. because you're the expert in your content. Yes. And you don't really understand necessarily how to scaffold it. But yes, you know, good instruction. And that is where you can provide some feedback for teachers. Absolutely. Not to go down that road quite yet, but that's why the process of, you know, at bats and practicing and practicing those lessons in front of your peers are so important. Also, the process of creating teacher exemplars when you are making those instructional laps in the classroom and referring back to referring students back to that exemplar. You as the teacher, the practitioner going through the process, and if you're doing the math problem, you are the person going through the problem and you're identifying those misconceptions will help you better teach it to students because you understand, okay, well, I know my class, I know my students, they're going to get tripped up here. So let me put a plan in place Mm -hmm. prior to me beginning instruction so that way they can be best supported. So. Yeah. Yes to everything you just said. So I'm going to like kind of throw out a hot topic here. We'll see if anyone in the replay or on in the comments watching Uh, will now say something. But what about people who say we don't have time to do at bats and we don't have time to write exemplars? What would you say? (laughs) I would say (laughs) I'm laughing because there are two ways I would answer it. The way that I authentically would answer it in a joking way, but I'm serious, is go to Walmart, Walmart on aisle three. They sell bottles of time. I need you to go buy some because we you got to make it. It it has to happen. But um, in all seriousness, if to people who say they don't have time, you have to make time because it's the right type of time to use. Because if you are just if you're just, you know, waking up in the morning, looking at your materials um, when you first begin to teach it to students, that number one is not going to be best for kids. But number two, that's going to reflect in your data. But even more importantly, you're going to become less and less confident with your instructional practice, which will then lead to, you know, behavior issues and so forth and so forth. So to people who say that they don't have time. Um, If you're on a campus that doesn't have POCs that meet every day, okay, if you meet once a week, work with your um, instructional support team, get with your principal to try to find ways that your team or your teachers can collaboratively plan and make sure that you are as best prepared as possible for instruction for your kids each day. That is the right type of time. And that has to be, um, if you, again, if you don't have it at your campus, try to find a way, be creative and try to make it work. Um, I will say that to my fellow um, principals and APs, like that has to be prioritized because that will be positive drops in buckets in so many other ways. But if you, if you say you don't have time, I'm going to push back on that. Let's, let's, let's find a way to make it work. Well, and you said that it's the right type of time. Mm -hmm. Like that to me is such a great little nugget right there because just like you said, if you don't spend the time on the front end, you're definitely not going to have time on the back. That's when all the stress, the traffic jam happens. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So let's have some smooth traffic by preventing (laughs) preventative measures. As much as possible. Yes. 
Like you have at the end of the day, you have to do your work. Yes. At the end, like teachers are teachers. We have a we have a heavy job. Educators have a heavy job right now, but it's not an impossible job. So if you don't have time again, do your best to try to find some because planning is key in making sure that quality um, and tier one level of instruction is going forth in classrooms every day. One hundred percent. Yes. Yes. So, Mr. Wayne, your Twitter profile, I love your little tagline. It said, let me make sure I get it correct. It says addicted to being better than okay. the day before. Yes. So what inspired that mantra? Like, how are you living up to that? How do you share that with others? I'm all about growth. Um, I hate reflecting. Um whether it's personally or professionally and realizing that I'm in the same place that I was a year ago or that I was even a month ago, I always like to try to have forward movement. Even if I'm failing up with something, mm -hmm. um, I still understand that, okay, well, yes, that may have been a fail up, but I did learn A, B, and C from that process. And so I'm able to use that into something else. So when I say I'm addicted to being better than the day before, like that's literally what I mean. I'm always reflecting and probably I'm harder on myself than um, what I really need to be. But I'm always reflecting on how can I do better today than I did yesterday? Because I firmly believe that if you're not growing, then you die. So in, in whatever in whatever death, uh, shape, form, fashion you want that to be. But if you're not growing, there's not you're not being productive. And I hate being in a place where I'm wasting my time. I hate not doing um, and not growing and becoming better. So I literally am trying to be always better than the day before. Do I 100% um, get it right every day? No, but I'm also <laughs> human. So I got to give myself grace on that. But I, that's for me, that's what that means. And it's not something that I just, you know, Googled and put on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love it. Like to me, I always say that complacency is a dangerous place to live. Mm -hmm. And like even my daughter tonight, she said she got a 95 on something and she's uh -huh. never gotten a 95 before. And I was like, uh -huh. Everly, it's OK. I was like, your teacher is just trying to push you to do better. Like you can yeah. whatever we do in our lives. We can always do it better. And of course, she rolled her eyes at me and was like, whatever. <laughs> it's like, Mom, I don't want to hear that. <laughs> but it's true. And I want to instill that in her. We need to uh -huh. reflect and grow so that we can make a bigger impact on this world. And it's the same thing for me. I know what it means for me personally, but that's the same thing for, you know, teachers in the classroom. If you're not growing, you as a professional, then your kids are not growing. But first, you have to make sure that you take care of yourself and make sure that you are that you are set up in the best possible way for your kids then to grow. So the same mantra is in the classroom um, when I walk around campus every day. Like that's something I inherently believe. Yeah. Well, and our kids are changing rapidly and yes. even more so than 10 years ago, like mm -hmm. the speed of which they're changing and especially with AI and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, just I guess I would say like the mental state with all the virtual things in their face and, you know, all of this stuff, teachers have to revamp their practice. They have to learn alongside their students in, mm -hmm. in a sense for instructional practices. And I believe education is one of the few careers that we are being affected in this way in terms of how rapidly society is changing. Mm -hmm. And we see it literally in the moment. Yeah. 
yeah. every day when kids come on campuses. And it's all because of this lovely booger bear, I say right here, cell phones, <laughs> has revolutionized everything. And so kids have so much knowledge at their fingertips. So it it kind of forces us to make sure that we stay on our toes to keep yeah. them engaged and to keep them learning while at the same time trying to better ourselves. 100 um, percent. So one thing that I love that we do have in common, Mr. Wynn, I don't know if you knew this. So I am a theater person. I My major's in theater. Oh, really? I love I love everything theater. And is- I became an, like I, I majored in theater and minored in English. And I became an English okay. teacher once I graduated from college. And I, I loved it. Like ever since, like I've just stayed to the path because I loved it, but I still love performing. I love being on stage, mm-hmm. but I also feel like fine arts has helped me become a stronger teacher and a stronger instructional leader because of mm-hmm. a lot of the skills that you learn in fine arts. Yes. So what are some of those skills that you've learned in fine arts that have helped you to become a solid administrator? I had the same discussion. I did another podcast with Mike Albert, and it was a really cool discussion because it was specifically uh, talking about fine arts, um, art, not fine arts administrators, fine arts teachers and the transit uh, transition process to being um, an administrator. And what are those skills? For me, I, ident- I identified that, number one, my program when I was in the classroom, I had a choir program of we started the year when I went to the campus of about 125 students. Um, I was there five years. By the time we left, I had upwards of 275 students. I had an assistant. We had about over six choirs that were um, there in the program at that time. But what I learned, the biggest thing is that the organizational um, skills, (laughs) because with within any fine arts program, if you're at a 6A or 5A high school or really any high school, typically you have your own budget. Um, A lot of times you have your own boost organization you are responsible for not just teaching kids the content in my case, you know, getting to prepare for a competition and growing them as vocalists, but also you're dealing with sometimes your own discipline Then let's throw in UIL as well. And you're making those consistent communications to parents because they're with you a lot of times more than they are at home, yeah. like because there are a lot of competitions, performances and so forth. So for me, the biggest piece was the level of organizational skills and the level of intention um, attention rather that you need to give to so many different pieces. Yes. Um, also being able to present in front of people um, is a big skill because that's not something that, you know, you just wake up a lot of times with, it may inherently be in you the desire to do so, but to do it consistently and to do it well is something that I think really any educator um, can definitely um, possess because you're teaching on a consistent basis. Mm-hmm. Um the biggest experience, this is funny, I'll make this one really brief. I had one choir of uh, junior varsity students, junior varsity girls, and I had made the decision um, that year to take that ensemble. Typically, as the head director, they primarily work with, you know, the varsity groups and maybe a freshman group. But I wanted that specific group because there was a lot of potential. I'm sorry if I'm talking fast. I'm trying to get through. No, it. that's okay. But it was it was like, honestly, and I kid you not, 75 girls in one choir. And it wasn't a dumping ground. Like it was like 75 girls in this one choir. They are my training ground. And that's what I looked at it as. That's my training ground for my varsity group. So if I want my varsity group to be strong, then I need to have an active hand um, this one year. Um, And I just learned so much. And I was the only guy (laughs) in in the classroom. Just just the amount of emotions and everything. It was 
it was the funnest class and I actively remember uh, that choir. But said all that to say this, you can't have that many students in one classroom and not have tight systems for management, tight systems for transitions. Like literally you have to think through from the moment they walk into your classroom until the moment they leave, what am I going to do? If this happens, what's your plan A, B, and C? Yep. And so just that level of att attention and intention and also planning is something that I really learned that I uh, from being a choir teacher and transitioning that to, or transferring that rather to uh, me as a apprentice, a yeah. principal apprentice. And those, those skills right there are not taught in college in a sense no. of like in the education classroom how to be uh how to improvise how to mm -hmm. manage large groups and have that organization system and those structures in place because you have to live it to learn it in, yes, a, I love in a, that. a great sense you do and and it you know we can kind of speak to it a little bit but until you're in that moment you're like mm -hmm. oh wait a minute i need i need to start putting these systems in place I just thought of something and I hadn't thought about it before, but when you said that you will understand this because you're a theater person, but being a fine arts person, you're able to see when someone or your audience becomes disengaged. Oh because think gosh. about it, when you're doing performances, when you start to see the audience, that means you got to turn it up. You got to do something a little bit different. You have to deliver this line, um, have different vocal inflections a little bit differently. So that causes you to always be paying attention to disengagement. And how awesome would that be if all teachers were able to have that that sense, that skill? When I'm starting to see my students are disengaged, okay, pivot, let's go, let's do something, mm -hmm. let's do we call MR MRS strategies, but but you know, let's do a lead force strategy, let's make this more engaging, let's yeah. do this. So that's I've even noticed yeah. changing the tone of your voice. Um, the other last week I was in a district and I was working with um, the coaches within that district mm -hmm. and I was giving them a lot of information. Like, you know, you could tell it was after lunch, their brains were hurting and I <laughs> could tell there was like a, a decline in the energy. And so I just made like a, a pivot in my inflection mm -hmm. and immediately like even something as small as that change like i was like i'm gonna tell yeah. a joke here we're gonna tell a joke and try to get them back on um yes but yeah you i've seen you, you do that in i've seen you do that yeah in trainings like when when it's information overload or if the teachers feel like oh it's another thing we have to do yeah <laughs> you turn it and move on <laughs> it's our training it's in the fine arts training uh -huh. it's in our blood i love it all right. So since we are beginning the school year, I think you had mentioned earlier, you're like in week two. What mm -hmm. are the most important moves that administrators can make right now at the beginning of the year to support those that they lead? Be in the classrooms. Be mm -hmm. in the classrooms. Um, Say that a little one. louder. <laughs> <laughs> be it that, like literally. Yes. For us and in my district, that was the expectation from our superintendent day one, literally walkthroughs and not walkthroughs, we call them pulse checks, but just literally being in classrooms from day one. So you're not for us. There was instruction happening on the first day of school. And some people may be like, oh, no, you have to do your how was your summer activities? There is such a sense of instructional urgency 
that is within our district and definitely within our campus that we don't have a moment to waste because that's a moment of learning not taking place. So from day one, literally first day of school, we were in those classrooms, um, in many cases, giving teachers, excuse me, um, in the moment feedback um, on specific things. And even though if you were just, you know, talking about a specific system in your classroom, that's still instruction. So mm -hmm. understanding that every moment, everything that you're doing in classroom always revolves around instruction. So for me, the most important moves you can make be in the classrooms as much as possible at the beginning of the year. Some moves that you can make um, prior to if you've already been at that campus or if you have a team who's already been at that campus, plan out everything step by step that you can possibly think of. Um, will you forget some things? Yes. Um, at a 6A campus or 5A campus, high school campus, it's hard, you know, to get everything, but that's why you have a team. But really be intentional about planning out systems um, and procedures, because those are the things that are frontward facing before people ever get into the classroom. If they see that your students are, um, you know, not finding their classroom, not getting to their classrooms on time. That's a frontward facing thing that eventually begins to, you know, damper culture amongst your staff and your campus. So just really be intentional about carving out time to plan through all systems, arrival, dismissal, lunch transition. Be really intentional about, about those pieces because that can make or break you at the beginning of the year. But my number one thing will be be in classrooms. It, you know, earlier in our discussion, you had mentioned building those relationships with students and mm -hmm. how there is that mirror of building relationships with teachers. Just your visibility makes a difference. It makes a huge difference. Yes. Um, it, it makes all the difference in the world. And that's one of the number one things that will make toxicity fester. It, within mm -hmm. a campus is if you constantly hear teachers, well, I never see them anyways. I never yes. see them. I never see them. And it can just spread like wildfire. Mm -hmm. And so being visible promotes positive culture. And, Always. and it does so much. And then even like you said, have those routines and systems that right there's clarity, administrator clarity, so mm -hmm. that everyone has that common understanding. Clarity is kind. Yes, all clear as kind. Clear as kind. Brene yeah. Brown, thank you. That's all, another thing all day. <laughs> all day. <laughs> yes. So we talked about a, or we mentioned AI and looking at the mm -hmm. trends in education that are coming up. What are some trends that you're noticing, and how are you helping teachers prepare for that? Wow, that is a, ooh, a heavy question. Um, <laughs> yeah, I would say. <laughs> Hmm. I think you may have me stumped a little bit um, because in my mind, well, I'm processing that there are a lot of things that I'm seeing every day that are happening. And so what is the new thing? Um, I would say, honestly, yes, it would have to be for me engagement. So there is a return to teachers releasing control of the classroom. So that is not number one, sit and get. Number two, it's not just lecturing. No longer are teachers the um, deliverers of information, but more the facilitators of the learning process. So really engagement is, you know, not it's not making the uh, return back and never left, but there is more emphasis on keeping students engaged through the lesson and what the teacher's role in that process is. Um, currently for us, our 
our instructional model in the classroom. You know, we use definitely timed agendas, but there is so many minutes, you know, allocated within the lesson for that pure, solid first instruction. But then following that, there is there are more minutes allocated for the modeling and the practicing. And then once it's time for the students to then it's just, a, you know, a, a different version of the gradual release model. Anyway. Yeah. But what the teacher's actions are specifically when the students are released to that independent learning and the independent practice. So no longer are teachers able to just, okay, welcome today. We're going to do this, 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 this. And then you go sit behind your desk while they work on the worksheet. No, teachers now are in the learning. Teachers are in the work with the students. They're pulling those small groups. Um, if I can say that five times fast or 500 more times, <laughs> I'll say it, but they're pulling those small groups and the teachers are really, you know, facilitating the learning experience for the students and not doing the work for the students. Yes. Teachers. Oh, sorry, I'm typing this in. So teachers are <laughs> facilitators. Yes. And I think that is so important that they, because Look at how students are learning these days. It is it's very different. It's very different. Mm -hmm. And so we cannot be the keepers of all the knowledge. No, the students yeah. need to do a lot of discovering. And, and we're facilitating that discovery through purposeful inquiry mm -hmm. and creating innovative, innovative ways for them to learn. The thing is, we are battling and we being the education system, we are battling the um, emergence and the uh, rapid emergence of technology. Um, it's here. It's not going anywhere. Kids have their cell phones. Those aren't going anywhere. We're yeah. battling for their attention. So how can we still be able to get content that we know they need to know, number one, for um, to just be better human beings and more productive citizens? But also we know they have we have benchmarks and accountability measures. How can we do that while at the same time keeping them engaged? Like that is, yeah, I've been telling, talking with my mentor, principal, and admin team for the past week and a half. Engagement, engagement, engagement. Yes, you have this wonderful slide deck. It has all the bells and whistles. Yeah. However, how are you delivering that? And how are you keeping students connected and excited about the learning? Yeah. That's it. Doesn't matter what's on that slide deck. You can put a nursery rhyme on the slide deck if you are doing it in an engaging manner and having those key checks for understanding. As you're reading, Mary had a little lamb. It makes all the difference. <laughs> yep. I, I'm ready for a teacher to bust it. This is because I'm always like, we need to teach like TikTok. But I'm like, I'm ready for a teacher to just come <laughs> in with their makeup and do a get ready with me while they're like teaching about theme or something. I'm wow. like, let's do a makeup tutorial while we're talking about theme. But can you imagine how the kids will remember everything that you're saying? They would remember everything. <laughs> everything about theme. Yes. <laughs> You do this when Miss Crabtree was fluffing her eyebrows. Uh -huh. I, don't know. I don't know how to do any of that, but yes. that's what they would remember it. I saw this um, uh, side. I saw this weird video this morning about uh, it was a math teacher in some state, um, but she was teaching. Uh, I want to say was it integers negative, uh, negative plus negative, negative times negative equals positive. But she said something after each one, and the kids responded something I can't say on here. Um, it wasn't inappropriate, but it was just really funny. I'm like, wow. And at first I was like, um, I don't think we need to, you know, stick to the content, do it. But then I thought about it. What's the goal? The kids mastering the material, the kids comprehending the material. And what did they do? They mastered that material. They understood it. So we're like, <laughs> go you, for it. you said it, we're fighting, we're battling for their attention. So yes. like we're armed in our gladiator costumes and we got to go <laughs> in and battle 
to get their attention. Every day. Absolutely. Every day. So what advice would you give to new administrators, veteran administrators for this school year? What, what tidbits of advice would you give? I would say don't lose your focus. Mm. Keep the main thing the main thing. Um, and also give yourself grace. I think because we give teachers grace and we tell teachers to give themselves grace when a lesson doesn't go well. But, you know, this is a hard and oftentimes lonely road as an administrator and even more so um, as a campus principal. Like no one will understand what that is like unless you have done the work before. But keeping literally something happened today where I had to just make sure, OK, I'm not paying attention to the fluff outside. OK, yes, this happened. This happened. This happened. Great. However, this is what, what I'm focused on. Yep. How is it going to move the instructional needle for kids and needle for kids in the classroom? So keep the main thing, the main thing, and also give yourself grace. I'm a real big proponent of when you disconnect from work, disconnect from work. Mm -hmm. Because as a human being, you just have to have that moment. It can't be on 100% of the time. You know, if there's something that's happening at school at the end at four o'clock or five o'clock, angry parent is on campus. Guess what? you being there till eight o'clock at night, stressing about it, they're going to be there in the morning. <laughs> so, so save your stress to the following morning. Um, but really just, I think those three things, um, be just give yourself grace. Um, also make sure that you take care of yourself and then also don't lose your focus. Keep the main thing, the main thing. And that's hard a lot of times because it our is. attention is pulled in so many different ways. That's such powerful advice though, Mr. Wayne. And I, I really appreciate you talking about kind of like keep the main thing, the main thing and leaving those things at work because it's mm. not sustainable if you don't no. and you're going to snap somewhere. It's either going to mm -hmm. happen at work or happen at home with your family. Yes. You don't want either one to happen. Yes. I'm blessed to come from two parents who are both teachers. Uh, they're retired. I say they're retired, but they're still more active now. It seems uh -huh. they're more teaching. But just seeing, and I tell my, I talk with my dad all the time, that education now is not what education was, like you said earlier, even 10 years ago. The system is different now. In order for you to be able to you know, last in the system and sustain a career, it's different. Yeah. Like you have to find ways to take care of yourself, um, you know, take that time with your family, take the time with your friends, your loved ones, do some, watch Netflix, Stranger Things is still on there. Um, just a lot of different, like find something to just yeah. make sure that you are still a human being and an adult at the end of the day. Good. Thank you for that. Um, so what, as an administrator, what are three tools that your or books or podcasts or anything that you would recommend principals, instructional leaders of any kind, you need to get mm -hmm. your hands on this. So I'm, I'm looking at my phone because I have so many podcasts. Like if you would see, it's just podcasts. Uh -huh. And in the morning, uh, my drive to work is a little lengthy. <laughs> so I have a lot of options for podcasts, but I would say my, my number one would be Adam Welcomes, um, the school district. Um, that podcast is really good. And what I like about his podcast specifically is that he's interviewing current practicing people in the field. So he's mm -hmm. interviewing assistant principals. He's interviewing principals. And, you know, he also has other, you know, um, researchers and things like that. But the majority of the podcast is people um, who are actually doing the work. I love to hear from them because that gives me encouragement and it also gives me additional insight. Um, another podcast I've gotten on recently is Principal Matters. And I've been listening a lot 
like going through their archival history and listen, listening to a lot of their different podcasts because they do the same thing as um, Adam Welcome's podcast, yeah. um, except they're just, uh, they have number one, I think more episodes, but then also they pull in other researchers and people who are in the business profession that talks about um, different transferable skills that can be done um, as a campus leader. Um, and in terms of books, there is a book, um, A Time for Change. I want to say it's A Time for Change, uh, Dr. Anthony Muhammad. Oh, yeah. I um, love Dr. Yes. I have a picture with him. Stinking love yes. that <laughs> I, lo I love that book um, because it, 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 it lays things out so plainly and so clearly about how to move a campus in a positive direction. And the book isn't, it isn't this large book or long book. It's just very cut and dry these things and it gives also a case study so um those are the three things and there are you know of course we're educators we read a lot there are a lot of yeah. um, different articles but those are the three things that i'm currently just um hooked on well and i'll even say like a time for change is beautiful and it's still even though it was written a while back mm -hmm. yeah. it's still applicable today and instructional coaches get your hands on this book too it's not just for yes. principals because he dives into the different types of teachers. He like categorizes them into four. I think, it, I believe it was four categories. Yes. Mm -hmm. And so I learned so much, especially when it came to like the most resistant of teachers. Mm -hmm. And then like the teachers that are resistant, but you can still move them, move them. Mm -hmm. There are some golden nuggets in that book and coaches get your hands on it. Yes. One thing he emphasized, you just uh, talked about it, teachers who are resistant, but you can still move them. I firmly believe everyone can contribute something uh, to a team, uh, positive or negatively, but it's my job as the leader to identify what that something is and how to use that to get the job done, to move yes. it towards the goal. And so just in that book and also in the podcast, it's, it's, uh, it's a lot of information that's helpful and encouraging at times um, to, to myself personally. Oh, I love that, Mr. Wayne. But this has been so nice. I'm so glad that we were able to catch up yes. and, and talk. Yes, I uh, listen. I when I uh, came to this district, and I've just kind of been thinking about a lot of the work that we did um, with the ELA department. It was, and I just reflect like we were doing some really bad, you know what stuff. Like we were, like we were really yep. moving the needle and making some changes, and teachers were like really growing. And so you being in um, at the campus in the capacity that you were being not, you know, not an evaluator, an appraiser, mm -hmm. but just a pure coach. Yeah. And I firm, I believe that every campus districts need to invest more in just coaches because mm -hmm. teachers do need that go between. They between, do. you know, there you don't want because even if, you know, as an evaluator, I can give teacher feedback and coach them on things in which we do. But there's always in the back of and the, the teacher's mind. That's the person who's giving me my end of the year rating, yada, yada, yada. But there needs to be a person that is, hey, I'm here solely to help you become better. Yes. And whatever better looks like, that's what our time together is going to be focused on. So, yeah, it, we, we had some we did some good work. <laughs> we did some great work. I, I will always give these like at the beginning of the year, there were some teacher tears, some frustration, some lack of confidence. Yes. And Mr. Wayne, you know, like that second semester, it was so beautiful to see no more tears, uh, lots of confidence, and it made all the difference. It was so good, yes. but it could not have been done without a true instructional leader. So thank you for that, Mr. Wayne. That was thank you. huge. You were visible and you asked the right questions and you supported. Thank you.
So. Thank you for answering all my questions. <laughs> <laughs> well, I loved having you on tonight. So, Mr. Wayne, can you tell our audience where can can they follow you? Where are you most active on social? So Twitter um, and okay. also Facebook. Um, you just put in my literally my first and last name. I try to keep it simple. Um, so it's a Davion Wayne. You can follow me on Twitter and then also at um, on just put me in on Facebook and there I am. Awesome. I'm becoming I am becoming a little bit better about being more active on Twitter, um, especially in the current my current role and just trying to post more about the great things that are happening, period. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you, Mr. Wayne, so much. And I just I hope maybe I can have you on again. So thank you so much yeah. for joining. And educators, enjoy your evening. Get some rest. Please. And yes. we will see you next time. <laughs> thank Bye. you, everyone. Thank you.